Welcome to Garage Night. Uh, this is a car cast. This is a, a pod pod car. What do we do here, boys? We it's, talk a car, about cars it's a car thing, maybe, depending on the night. I am Randall. It's a car. I'm Jeff. I might be Andy, but depends on who you ask. We'll, we'll check back next week, see who you are then. Okay. Um, are you selling so, a Mini Cooper? Not yet. <laughs> Brandy? Wow. Very, very inside joke right off the bat. Yep. Um, welcome. Uh, <laughs> as I have been saying the last few weeks, uh, strange energy coming in tonight. Um, so, uh, I uh, am back in the Pacific Northwest. Back in one of those bad states. <laughs> it's like a breath of fresh air. I don't know about no more dust. <laughs> How's it smell to be oppressed? <laughs> it smells uh, smells pretty clean, but uh, but oppressive. <clears throat> ah, so uh, you know, um, you know, one might say, Randy, that uh, you went one state too far. <laughs> I should have stopped in California. No, no, no. Well, depending on which route you take, I, I suppose. Nah. So what I did this time, so on our on our way down uh, to Texas, uh, we went through um, Highway or Interstate 84. We went through Boise. Um, <clears throat> That's we where you should down. have stopped. Just to the be first clear. time, yes. Yeah, Boise is pretty good. Just Idaho yeah, a, in general. It's a lot shorter drive. Yeah. <laughs> so then we went down through Salt Lake City, down through Provo. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we went down uh, through Moab, uh, kind of hit hit east and then south through Moab. We stayed the night in Cortez the second night and then uh, made our way down to um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. We made a left toin at Albuquerque. And <laughs> made a left. <laughs> and then uh, into Dallas-Fort Worth. But this time... Um, we decided to avoid the uh, the mountain passes because uh, I had a 26-foot uh, Penske truck. Um, and so we decided, well, we'll not do that. Um, turns out still hit bad weather anyway. But we, we came all the way through. We went out to West Amarillo, continued on to Albuquerque, um, and just right straight on through because from Albuquerque, you, you uh, roll through uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff is where you see your first hill, um, and you you come up into the into the green trees, into the mountains, uh, and that was, you know, after a day and a half of driving, it was nice to see a little something a little bit different. Um, it was pretty good weather at that point, but as we came into Needles, California, we had a storm front coming, and uh, we had forty. Yeah, 40 mile an hour winds with uh, gusts of like 60, 65 uh, hitting that truck. Boy, things get sketchy real fast. Um, but, uh, you know, we made it through there and it rained all the way up through California. We stopped uh, in Central California uh, and finished uh, the rest of the way up. But it rained all the way till um, about Redding, California is when the rain finally uh, pulled away. And we went up through Mount Shasta. And, uh, those, those are some steep hills. The truck was struggling to do 40 through most of that. And that's a uh, nice part of California. Though. Oh, totally. I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a difference when you hit Redding, like about 
40 miles south of Reading, uh, the state changes um, quite a bit. Like Sacramento still feels kind of the same all the way from Needles to, to Sacramento. Uh, we took the highway, not, not, not Interstate 5. Uh, we went out through um, Bakersfield uh, up north. <clears throat> but yeah, once we get about to Reading, uh, it it kind of became a, a different kind of place. It's really at that point feels more like Oregon uh, geographically. Um, so we just continued on from there uh, all the way up to the Portland area. Uh, that was a big truck. I've never dealt with air brakes before, and they worked just fine. Uh, it's just strange because it worked. The brakes worked a lot more like uh, Jeff's Fox body used to, where the pedal would move about three quarters of an inch. And then it was just, you had to just push the brake harder for them to work, but it didn't travel anywhere. So I'm not a huge fan of that, but I remember Jeff's, uh, Jeff's Fox did that, right? Uh, it was just, my mind just didn't stop. It just wouldn't, it would Was it your stop. throttle pedal? That was... It was my throttle pedal was that way. My throttle pedal okay. was like, you would push on it and you would just keep pushing. And then it, it was pressure all sensitive. Yeah, yeah, it would all go at once, and then it would move. Like it had a really stiff uh, spot right at the right at the very like throttle tip in. Yeah, that's that's some some weird stuff. I hate sticky pedals. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom's uh, my mother has a 1997 Expedition, uh, first year of that big thing, and Ugh. the accelerator pedal will get stuck. Uh, if it, it doesn't get driven for a couple of days. And uh, so you go to, to back it up or something and you put your foot on it and it doesn't do anything. So you push a little bit harder and then all of a sudden it's to the floor because it gets through <laughs> that sticky bit. And yeah. then it just chirps the tires in reverse. The whole thing shakes because the the uh, suspension is just so loose on those. But anyway, we make it uh, back to Oregon all safe and sound. Uh, 30 hours of driving later. Um, boy, howdy! That's not as much fun when you uh, when you're in a big truck doing it all in one uh, in one stint, huh? But at least you're back, and that yep. means more awesome content for listeners yeah. and for viewers. Check out the YouTube. The YouTube is up. Um, I put a link in the uh, in the Instagram at the very least, and uh, we'll I'm sure we'll have stuff on the. Uh, webpage by the time this episode airs but we're going to be trying put stuff out every two weeks uh at this point uh so uh jeff what'd you put in there for the first video so i uh, actually cross posted with my um my personal account which i just throw up weird stuff from cars and you know stuff i like that i make that just has been you know kind of whatever throughout the years but um, it's a, uh, it's a video of my, uh, kind of a tour of my rear suspension in my Chevy and kind of some of the latest updates and some things that I, uh, I've done to the car, um, primarily focused on the rear suspension, the trailing arm setup. And then I also do a quick once over on the front suspension, look at the stereo and, um, you know, the engine and stuff, which it's already changed since then. I've already messed with it in this last week. So there's already more updates cause I'm always tinkering and playing with my cars, but, um, but it was something just kind of like a, there's, you know, there's not much going on right now with the quarantines. And so I figured, well, it, I need to get under there anyway. Cause I periodically inspect all of my welds and all of my ball joints and all of my, you know, everything on my cars. 
So I'm always lifting them up and down, just checking everything out, making sure nothing looks weird. And uh, I figured, well, it's about time I need to do that. Might as well make a video. Let's show everybody kind of what's going on. And I had a few people on my YouTube ask me about the rear suspension and just kind of how I did it and what I did. And, and uh, I'm hoping that this kind of clears up why I did what I did. And then also shows, you know, maybe gives you guys ideas for something to do on your cars when space is kind of limited, um, you know, for your rear suspension setup. So it was kind of a fun little one. Um, and it was kind of fun for me too, to just get to talk about it. I kind of got in the groove there a little bit and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm usually pretty nervous talking on camera or on video. So, um, I, uh, I, once I get flowing though, it's usually pretty good. So, uh, it's kind of a fun one to watch. So check it out if you get a chance. What have you been up to Andy? Oh, nothing car related. Actually. I, Washed the cars. I took them all out, cleaned them up. I drove the Mustang a little bit, you know, uh, got up for the season, run the block once or twice. Washed it, washed the Focus, kind of cleaned up the garage and put everything away, actually, so I haven't been working on much. Um, You're working on the house, though, right? Working on the house, mainly, yeah. We we got our RV pad poured uh, on the side of the house. I'm working on, a, um, you know, just the landscaping in the backyard right now, basically, trying to get that buttoned up while I'm home, but yeah, nothing car related. Really. I hear you have some cool cards for sale that, you know, maybe people want to buy. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't been up to much since I got home other than just, you know, unpacking and stuff. So I, I kind of, I kind of feel you like I've been busy every day, but not doing anything fun, you know, uh, responsibilities catching up on chores and stuff yeah that is never fun nope i uh i'll I'll share what i did that's car related that's not that interesting but might as well share it um it was kind of a fun experience for me so i've uh i've just been kind of as i've said in previous episodes i think i've been with this whole quarantine thing i've been like yeah let's just let's spend some time let's tidy some things up on the car you know and, and i'm talking about the chevy in this case um and i decided you know i've been watching a lot of motor trend on demand and they sold me a product um i didn't even realize they sold it until after i bought it i'm like those effers they totally conned me into buying this <laughs> um but uh on there if you ever watch any of these episodes of Roadco garage you'll see uh david freiberger he'll always he really likes making spark plug wires because he can make them really like you can route them exactly the way you want you can get them to look whereas you buy the bulk generic ones they kind of look sloppy they're not cut to the right lengths and I fought that for a while, both on this car and my Bronco. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to buy a kit from MSD and blah, blah, blah. And I, after I bought it, I'm like, they totally sold that. They totally sold that on that show. That was great. That's native brilliant. advertising. That's, That's the best brilliant. way to do it. But I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really happy that I did it. It was, it was more than I wanted to spend for spark plug wires and it was 110 bucks or something for a wire kit. <clears throat> and you have to do the work yourself. I mean, come on, like, why wouldn't you just buy them already done? But the nice thing is, is when you have like a non-stock application, you can really make things route the way you want them to route. And so um, I actually ended up finding that these, this worked great. Like it comes with a little stripper and everything to cut the wire back and um, a crimper and everything. It's all kind of a all in one deal. And um, they look great, man. They look fantastic. And I really enjoyed doing it. It's kind of one of those like tidy up things that when you get in there and you like, from when you start to when you finish, the engine bay looks so much better and it looks just neat and it's the way you want it to look. And then 
you know, I'd been waiting for a couple of parts and I, I had ordered a fuel pressure regulator because I had some fuel issues um, where I'd go around corners too fast and and my carburetor would bog a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd be pulling all those high G's and those corners, keeping up with Randy and his five series and uh, the carburetor would start out for fuel. So I, I ordered a, a Summit Racing uh, little fuel pressure regulator for like 30 bucks. And I got a, um, I ran a, a couple of um, NPT fittings to a, to a gauge. Um, and uh, I didn't want to go to the hardware store because they're only letting so many people in at a time. So I ordered one and it just took forever to get here. But I finally got that all hooked up and uh, um, it looks pretty good. And I got my fuel pressure all dialed in. And I'm hoping that that fixed the gate, the fuel starvation issue. But um, I mean, I know EFI would fix it if you ask these guys, but that's not an option for me. So. Yeah, no, I saw the pictures you, you, you sent us. It looks very professionally done. It was a professional install, you know, like um, when I stripped out the threads on the intake and then I grabbed the bigger bolt and I just leaned on the on the uh, impact or the impact driver and ran it in and called it a day. Just don't take it out. <laughs> just don't take it out. It's all good. Those are new those threads pictures once. will be up on the Instagram by then anyway. Yeah, so check check them out. It looks a lot better with the, like, it's the, the plug wires you would never notice until you point it out and go, hey, look how those don't look like crap, how they yeah. look good. Yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take some fresh pictures. I, I spent a little bit of time painting some stuff this weekend, and I got, uh, like, I cleaned all my valve covers. I went in there with a sock, and I blew out all the, I blew out all the dirt that was on the, on the intake manifold just from driving the car, you know, like it's funny, you know, you, you don't realize how dirty your car gets just driving it, but there's like, there's like gravel and shit on my intake manifold, like, and in all the nooks and crannies. So I'm in there, like, I didn't have a toothbrush to spare. So I was in there with a, with a rag and a air tool and stuff, blowing all that out and cleaning everything up and freshening up some paint. And it, and it's, when you get done, you're just like, ah, oh, that looks so good. I don't even want to drive it now, but you know. It's like, so I don't know. quick, quick digression. You guys are a lot better at this, uh, than I am <clears throat> the meticulous, uh, cleaning of things like engine bays and interiors and stuff. I never, um, Jeff doesn't have an interior to clean at this point, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> like wh- what are some, what are some tips you guys have? Like you mentioned, you know, a sock and a toothbrush, which seems like the start to a really bad joke. <laughs> but what are some like uh, tips and tricks you guys would have for dummies like me that always do a bad job cleaning and, and think, you know what, I bet you there's a way to get that clean, but then go play video games instead. So what <laughs> should I be doing uh, um, to kind of clean uh, the hard to reach areas? I mean, the, Sonicare. The Sonicare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, Specifically. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe Jeff might have better insight than me, but. My my advice is spend the time once, get it done the way you want it to, and then maintaining it is easy. Yeah, he's right. Like the the biggest the biggest challenge is doing it initially. I do have one piece of advice that I found, and this is a little separate from engine, but I'll I'll, I'll come right back to it. The best way to clean really disgusting windows is not glass cleaner, but spot shot carpet cleaner. Um, you I was know the windows. So yeah, well, I'm sure Simple Green works too. I was I was thinking like of a non mix it yourself degreaser, but I had um, I had used so um, on my car. You know, I pulled it out of a field, and the back windows and the wing windows were 
absolutely just disgusting. They were caked with something that even acetone wouldn't take off. Um, and I was using acetone, lacquer thinner, all of the solvents and stuff, break clean. And I just happened to have a thing of spot shot. I'm like, man, fat chance this will work. I sprayed some spot shot on there and that thing came out flawless. They looked brand new. Unbelievable. So one of those things that like you don't realize until you accidentally do it, <laughs> like it's actually a good thing. Um, so it, just one of those weird little things that if you have a car, you pull out of a field or some really nasty crap on your windows, you want to get perfectly clean spot shot. It'll get oil and shit, all of that, all of that stuff off there. But back to the engines, um, I kind of echo what, what Andy says is like a lot of the stuff you're going to have to do is you're really going to have to remove stuff. Like the first time I detailed the engine bay in my Mustang, which is a lot uglier of an engine than the than the Chevy or the Falcon, where there's not much going on. Um, I used a, like a degreaser, and like a Purple Power, and it and it can cause corrosion on aluminum parts, and it can cause them. I mean, it'll clean the the grime off, but that's it'll leave a corroded kind of piece of aluminum. Um, and uh, generally, I found the best way to make your improve the look of your engine bay is to try to tidy up and route wiring and vacuum hoses and stuff in a neat way so it doesn't look like a mess like it 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 pulls your eyes away from like a cluster of things going on like if it's too busy in an area try to reroute things out of that line of sight um and always think about how you're going to pull stuff back apart too so it's not a pain to get back to um, and then while you have those hoses disconnected or whatever, when you're behind there, spray that with some either some, you know, you can use a degreaser on paint or you can use like a, um, I found the, uh, oh, what's it called? It's the, um, it's the little, um, they sell it. Oh, what's it? It's like a, it's like a ball of steel wool with, um, with like some soap in it. What's it called? Um, it's not Scotch-Brite. Um, Oh, I have oh, it right out there. Steel wool with some soap in it. Interesting. But, a, so what, what what would you use that for then, like specifically? Um, so any any type of grime you, you've you got, um, it's... Uh, steel wool is going to be highly abrasive, right? No. So this is this is something that's um, that's meant for cleaning. I use it on my, on my wheels and stuff too. Um, it's like a really light grade steel wool. It's like a, it's like a, a four-aught steel wool or something where it's just really really light and it'll take all that grease off. Um, so it's still, it's still steel wool. It's not a plastic because Scotch bright is, is made of plastic. Right. And that's why it's popular is because it's, you know, not as hard and abrasive as a, as a steel mm-hmm. against things like aluminum. Uh, but this is something you say you can use on your, on your wheels even. Yeah. I need to find out what it is. So um, I'm going to find out what this is really quick. Cause I have it out in the garage. Let me go look really quick, but you guys keep okay. talking. Yeah, Andy, what what it, what were you saying? You say use a, a simple green. Uh, what what kind of do you dilute that down quite a bit, or you can, you can dilute it? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I haven't used it on paint, but I mean, you've got some really like you know good like oily gummed up kind of stuff. Simple green works on it pretty good. I haven't like like your like your heads and your suspension that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, it works good on that. I mean, what I did, I mean, I kind of went the hardcore route, but I had the whole chassis, drivetrain motor, everything out of the car when I worked on it, when I did all that work. So we did that and I literally pressure washed and, you know, used uh, purple power on the whole engine bay as it basically sat on the lift and pressure washed it and got it spotless. 
Nice. So like, is there, if you get that clean, uh, do you have to every couple of years still clean it like that? Or if you get it good and clean, is it a lot easier to clean year after year? Then It's, it's easier to maintain when you, when you get a good base to it like that. And I mean, I, you know, when we put it back together, um, you know, I, I rerouted some stuff to kind of clean it up a bit and make it easier to kind of clean up and get to. Um, and the, the biggest thing is, you know, buttoning up all the, all the lines and stuff that just run astray, um, you know, fixing all the oil leaks and, you know, fluid leaks and all that to keep all the stuff from building up is kind of the biggest thing. Um, aside from that, you know, like, um, I haven't really even had to really clean it up much since then, but like <clears throat> on my, on my six, when I did the same thing, when I built the motor on that. Um, and with that, once, you know, we got everything cleaned up and sealed up nicely and all that, I would readily clean it with a hose and water, soap and water. And that would get it really pretty clean. Yep. Cause usually when I do something like that in mine, like short of pressure washing the engine bay, which I never feel good about, uh, doing just because of electrical contacts. Right. Um, it I would never pressure really wash it with everything clean. hooked up. Yeah. But with with an engine out of it, it's nice and you can get a good clean. So when you, when you say kind of buttoning stuff up and kind of getting stuff pulled out of the way, is it more... Um, where am I going with this? Hey, I'll, I'll interject. SOS pad is what I use. Ah, SOS yeah, pads. They're like a they're like a steel wool with like a, a conditioning soap in there, and I use that on my like aluminum or my metal parts um, primarily, and that really get, cuts the grease off, and it doesn't really mar the finish. I mean, unless you're talking like a fine polished aluminum, like most stuff on my cars is not polished, so I use that stuff pretty pretty extensively, um, and then I'll use like a um, just a just a regular rag and some and some like. Uh, I use a lot of that that glass cleaner stuff that you see, the sprayway stuff. I use that all the time. Um, and then toothbrush. Uh, I try to be careful with hoses because around the engine, you know, um, don't want to fill up a valve cover or something with water or the intake. No, that's so SOS pad. I've heard I've heard of SOS pads. It's good for uh, getting your hands clean too. Um, once, then you don't have hands left. Uh, uh, any, uh, interior, like for me, the hardest part of with interior is like getting, uh, you know, down into some of those crevices and stuff with the, with the vacuum. Some of them, you just can't quite get the hose in. Um, and other than that, like, what do you guys use for, for like conditioning leather and stuff? Like, do you like to use the sprays or the creams like what what's too much because for me um i use the high pressure vacuums at the car wash like i don't like trying to use my own vacuum it just never gets the job done uh, i like those big crazy vacuums uh, at the car wash but um yeah i'm i use mostly mcguire's stuff uh for the interior uh, i like to use the spray on a terry cloth uh for the interior plastics. And then I have another one. Uh, it's like leather gold or, or something like that. Um, for a leather conditioner. Um, but I know like my dad's truck has King ranch leather and we've had to use like a heavy duty, like leather CPR on that. Um, you know, daily for a couple of weeks to try and bring the 
luster back about once a year. Um, what are your guys' experience with like keeping plastics and leather and stuff uh, nice on the inside? I pretty much exclusively use Armor All products. They <laughs> they work really good. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let I'll let Jeff take that then. <laughs> I'll, let, so here, I, I'll I, let Jeff I'll let Jeff correct me with his sponsorship. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> I'm not going to sponsor anyone here. Um, brought to you by uh, Carl's Jr. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know what I had for dinner, you son of a... <laughs> um, so, no, uh, the only reason I shudder when I hear arm roll is I've heard, you know, all the old timers say anything that you use that's got, like, silicone in it or any of that stuff will um, th- it will pull oils out of the, like, the original oils out of the plastic and cause them to dry up and crack if you use it repeatedly. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to that. I'm sure all of the products on the market have the same crap in them, you know, that cause the same thing to happen. Um, back when I had, I've, a car, I've heard this, I've heard the same thing, but I've, I've also heard from a little more reliable sources that it kind of doesn't like, it's all kind of the same. Um, and that it's just oily that is going to wipe off anyway. And all it is, is there's nothing worse than the UV damage that's going to happen to your, your dash. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I honestly, like, I, I never put much of that stuff on there because every time I did, it would leave it so shiny and sticky that I never liked the feel of it. You know, it just looked bad, and it just, I don't know, I never was a big fan. So, like, I literally, in my Mustang, the only car that I have with plastic interior that you guys can probably relate to, um, like, the only thing I would ever do is maybe once every four or five years, I would take the Meguiar's interior uh, stuff. The uh, It's got like an interior polish stuff that they use. And I'll, I'll wipe that on just very, very lightly. I, I li- I'll like put a little bit on a rag and then I'll like kind of spread it around the rag. So it's just a light coating. And then I'll go back over it and wipe it off. And it just gives it enough just to bring it back a little bit. But I only do it every so often because the grease stays so long on there and it attracts so much dirt. Um, but it does help kind of freshen things up. But I... Uh, like I said before, I use a lot of that glass cleaner to get the most of the basic stuff off. I've used um, I've used super clean in a really diluted uh, amount to get some of the heavier interior stains out, like coffee and stuff. Um, what I've heard about about the different products because I I used Armor All um, a lot, you know, when I was a, a dumb teenager and didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, just messing with your bud, but uh, I I used that a lot and. What I've found to be the main difference is like level of luster and armor all has a very high sheen to it. Mm-hmm. And I do think that when you put it on, especially with like a, a more modern dark interior, I do think that armor all looks really good. But the problem I had is, you know, uh, my first truck, my Ranger has kind of a, a gray and black interior and the gray with that shine yes. made it look like, yeah, like, doctor's like the head office. of a thirteen-year-old that hadn't had a shower in two weeks, like you a know, doctor's just office. Gre- <laughs> yeah, just kind of <laughs> greasy, and you got 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 the smear marks on it. But I could use the same thing on the Mustang a few years later, and it actually looked really good. Um, and it's all about you know what it's supposed to look like, and it has to match the sheen and the luster of the exterior. So if you've got kind of a a low wax, low luster wax on the outside, 
don't use armor all on the inside because then you're going to have this, you know, oil slick when you open the door versus the outside. That's why I ended up using Meguiar's products is they aren't that high, high shine. Um, they're kind of more of a, a satin which still made everything look clean and kind of gave it a bit of a, a glint, but it was more middle of the road. But I know Andy's cars, he takes such good care of the paint, and that's always such a a blinding finish that I think that that would look good because if you have a highly reflective, you know, your clear coat's in good shape, it's, it's really well polished, uh, and then you open up the door and it's kind of a flat dull like i can see how that could be off-putting too you probably just need to kind of find a product that matches you know your interior to your exterior i think that's kind of what i've ended up doing is finding the right product for each finish unless it's alcantara or uh, ultra suede or something don't don't touch it with your hands it makes me itchy (laughs) yeah it's probably just fiberglass died and stood on end i think what it is is it's the kind of velveteen that was in like an 88 ranger velveteen. that's what that's rich chocolatey velveteen <laughs> it's ovaltine <laughs> ovaltine that's what you have it's like it's the fake velvet it's velvet it's just do you guys have any interiors that just make you uncomfortable like for me it's physically like the 80s kind of the 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 velvet almost like uh Ooh, yeah, velcro that's, that's terrible on my hands like that really bugs me like you guys have your fingernails like rub across it and like yeah, touch and yeah. everything and you just feel like gross every time it does it oh, <laughs> hurting me doesn't you guys that have anything it? like that whether it's whether it's visually or tech textile or, or you tactile know, texture or tactile at the word or just ergonomics is there an interior that you've been in that you're like this is just i can't sit in here for one reason or another i i think the bigger thing for me is is going to be color and space okay so like do you like the idea of the kind of color-coded interiors of like a pt cruiser or a mini cooper where they kind of have because i know your cars have that fiat 500 yeah yeah, I, I like a little bit of the matching, but I don't like, like, I'll go, my 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 go to is the uh, uh, Fox Body one hundred percent porno red interior. Ooh. Yeah. That I don't, that that's my line that drives me up a wall. Or and is anything done on on uh, what's the show? Um, Pit my ride. Oh, dude, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I actually so tried what, to get on Pimp My Ride, no lie. I'm sure you did. <laughs> I totally did. I used to watch that all the time, dude. I was like, Exhibit is going to pimp my Mustang. It is going to be so cool. God, and well, it would you're... be worth nothing right now if he did. Oh, dude, can you imagine how horrible it would be? How terrible would it be right now? It would have had like four lug. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's not a fool. He had a fallback. He's not a fool. He pities a fool. No, no, see, he, he knew, like, well, if I don't get on Pimp My Ride, I'll get on Cannonball Run. So. Yeah, hey, I could get on, hey, I almost made it. <laughs> I hear you were close. I was really close. I was so close. This was a high school, yeah. I recall. 
Uh, yeah, we don't need to talk about that. We could just keep going. <laughs> sure we do. Um, no, nah, it's all good. No one wants to hear. How me. close did you get? How close did you oh, get? About as close as making an audition video can get you. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want to put a 16-year-old in his uh, upgraded 19-pound injectors. I think I was on 17, there. bro. Easy. Every year counts when you're that young. Yeah. Every month counts. Every month. Um, anyway, so, uh, Andy, you like a little bit of color coding, but not like super ostentatious. Like, I know that you like the two tone also because the the um, uh, the Terminator Cobras had offered a lot of like black seats, but had a, a gray Alicantra inserts. Um, the, so I, I don't really- like the. I mean, I do and I don't like it, I guess, on that. Like, my, my, the biggest, the ones I like the most were really the black and black Terminator. But I mean, certain ones were nice, like the Mystachrome seats that matched the paint were nice. Like, my seats on my Cobra are a special, um, for racing products that the, the insert in mine matches the exterior. But like the gray inserts, the red inserts on like the 10th anniversary cars, like, I wasn't a big fan of. The the tan insert was like, yeah, it was kind of neat, but not really the same as the gray. So um, Rangers offered that on the FX4 Level 2s. They had uh, the gray and black seats, but the gray inserts you could get as a blue or as a red. Now, I've seen some of those trucks that are like black, a black exterior, and then the interior is like black except with blue or red inserts. Would that be attractive to either of you guys to just kind of have that that one color spot that could kind of correspond to like the tail lights? I don't know. I I I'd call it the same as the tenth anniversary in the Cobra. Like the red, unless it was on a unless it was on a, a torch red car, then it was all right. But like on the black and silver cars, I didn't like it. Oh man, I don't know. I'm <laughs> I I'd have to see it. I think. I, I kind of like that. There's a way to do it right and a way to do it wrong for sure. Um, uh, I know Mustangs and, and uh, some other cars have been offered with like, I've seen a black on black convertible, but the interior is red leather. That I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, yeah. So I think you can, <clears throat> I think you get away with it, but it's, it is kind of a, a specific thing. Uh for me, I think the answer is always contrast stitching. Oh yeah, that looks that, that looks, looks pretty nice. Good. I if you can get the contrast stitching to max match the exterior, like for me, my my blue ranger with black interior and uh, blue contrast stitching on everything, and I'm I am I'm happy. Yeah, that that looks nice. I I like bits and pieces of color look good. I like just having interior, you know, that's a good first step. Something more than sheet metal uh, to separate you from the ground. Yeah. That's always a nice plus, you know, like, like some carpet or, you know, some insulation. I don't know anything really. So what are, what are you considering with, with the Chevy? Cause you're kind of starting at zero. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to do, you know, just front and rear bench seats? Or are you going to try and kind of keep it, period correct um yeah definitely period correct it's uh it i'm I'm doing lots of like the uh 
kind of brown and um, you know beige tones, kind of real subtle, real real nice stock original interior um, kind of look. Now, are, um, are you trying to do some flavor to it, or do you want it to look like original, or do you want to do a flare like uh, like you could do like a like a brown uh, heavy stitch around the edge, maybe some piping? Like that's more seventies, but I know it's it it would be kind of up your alley and kind of give it you know, a, a unique look, um, especially some, just some brown piping would, would set it off without, uh, upsetting the look too much. Have you considered something like that? Or do you want to go like very original? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of weird with interior. I'm not really, I don't really follow a period, uh, in time. I just, I know what, what nice looks like, what's pleasing to the eye and kind of what I want. Um, you know, I'd like to get some nice, uh, stitching in there, maybe some piping. I'm not sure yet. Um, but most of it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a combination of like vinyl and, um, uh, and fabric. So like a dark Brown kind of distressed leather, uh, vinyl. And then, um, with some, uh, kind of like a, almost like a, what I'm envisioning is to be like a tweed, like a really coarse weave tweed with like, uh, with beige and kind of Brown coloration in the tweed. Um, and maybe a few different, um, I'm not sure what patterns I'm, I'm thinking of to break it up, but something very, uh, very generic and soft to break that up. Like, um, you know, maybe two different colors of tweed or something like that. Um, you know, just to kind of pipe things or to kind of border things. Not entirely sure on that yet, but, um, I'm hoping to work through that here once my truck's done out of the shop. So, um, when we were talking a little bit in the uh, pre-roll, Andy, we were talking about motorcycles, and and Andy says, "I want to, I want a bike motor. I'm looking at like a leader bike or something." And and so Randy and I sat there quietly. Uh, leader bike's not a good bike to to start out on, Andy. Um, that's probably not a good decision. He's like, "Oh, I don't want it for that. I want it for for water." And we're like, "Just gonna just gonna let that sit there." Um, not going to ask what, what you're doing with it. So, uh, how about you reveal to us what this water sport thing, uh, that you want a thousand CC motorcycle engine for is. So my parents have two uh, watercrafts that one of them's had a blown motor in for about two years now. And we just haven't, haven't, we, we fixed it up once my dad, I should say my dad fixed it up, rebuilt it once, put it back together and it blew up again. And it's been sitting there. They're not really using them that much. And I said, well, I have a good use for that hole. <laughs> and yeah, that's my, that's my plan. Throw a, throw a, throw a leader bike motor in that, in that, uh, in that hole and go rip on it. Mm, interesting. Um, uh- I like PWCs quite quite a bit. I've never had one one of those big supercharged ones though. I've always had the smaller ones that are kind of more for you're not supposed to jump them, but they jump real good. So, have you guys ever speaking of personal watercraft? Have you ever seen a jet ski engine and like the valves and stuff? I haven't How seen weird. one torn apart. No, they're they're not they're not conventional. They're very weird looking. Um, let me send you a picture um, so you can help me describe this because they're strange. Um, I don't know what the reason is for for this. Um, 
I really let me see here. So does it probably have something to do? I would assume it would have to do with with waterproofing and um, the way that they're cooled because they're kind of cooled by, you know, there's an intake and then it goes through a an impeller mm-hmm. and then back out and they kind of use that a bit to try and uh, you know water cool the engine because there's obviously no radiator so it's kind of air cooled. Mm-hmm. I have to think that there's something to do with the way that the jet uh, is is driven off of like that that pump that that is run to actually push the jet uh, uh, the water out of the jet, right? I'm not really sure what that looks like if it's just an external pump or if it's integrated into the motor. So it's uh, a it's an impeller. So it's a it's an internal propeller. So there is a there's a it's kind of like a like like a turbo in in a sense mm. in that there's an internal propeller that spins and pulls but instead of pulling air in from the exhaust and then putting it back out the exhaust and then turning uh, a drive um instead of then that pushing air in what it is is mm-hmm. uh it pulls water in and through it and that uh impeller is driven by the engine So it's sucking water in and pushing it back out the other way, Mm -hmm. and that spinning is powered by the engine. Um, Gotcha. So it's it's kind of like a water pump, then essentially. It's literally a water pump. Gotcha. Just like any car engine is just an air pump, if you Mm -hmm. really think about it, that's Mm -hmm. all it is: is sucking in air and pushing it back out to produce power. That's all it's doing. I'm sure there's a way Andy could rig that up to the jet ski impeller then and then run a uh, a, a freshwater cooling system to the to the bike motor he just has to be able to uh hook the drive the the output the power output has to be able to hook into the mm-hmm. the uh impeller pump to drive i bet you could seize that impeller pump too with too many rpm pretty quick i'd imagine so my my worry would be um that a motorcycle has an integrated transmission. Uh, so right. either he would have to rig a way to shift it. Um, and then, you know, that'll kind of change the speed of the, of the pump. Otherwise leave it in third or whatever. And uh, just let her run. That's kind of what I've, I was, I was getting at is I, I wonder if maybe, you know, will six gear burn up the impeller kind of thing, you know, or would interesting thought uh swapping swapping that in well you know what right now with a blown motor it's doing nothing so the best way to figure this out is to just build it and try it the worst he can do is is anything i've done eight times you know i don't know the exact logistics of how it works but i've seen enough people on youtube build it and i've seen them running on water that i want to do it i want to figure it out i think you should do it i'm a fan of this Okay, Jeff. So, should he get an air cooled motor or a, a water cooled motor at that point? Uh, like, de- I know definitely th- water. That's my thought. Water, water cooled. See, I thought you were gonna say, "Oh, well, he just needs like a, a air cooled flat six out of a Porsche." <sighs> I don't know how you get. I mean, I guess you could duct air in 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 a in a jet ski. Yeah, it still has an intake. Um, it's just got a snorkel on it that goes to the back of the seat. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's where you're least likely to uh, to get it. I mean, for me, the answer is uh, uh, probably 
I'd want to put like a cart motor in there, like a 125 cart motor, because those things are high strung and fast. Because I mean, you can get those with 30 horsepower. Um, you know what? That's probably not enough, huh? What What are those big supercharged uh, watercrafts running? Probably probably over a hundred. Oh, I don't know, man. I'd have to look. I know. I know. Last last time I looked at you, like. I want to say I'm going to look it up real quick before I sound stupid. I'm going to Google it. I do feel like a a, a one liter supercharged. Yeah, that's not going to be the same as a, a cart's not going to not going to get the job done on that. Maybe uh, find like a wrecked uh, razor, like an RZR side by side. Those have like 1600 cc and 1200 cc turbo uh, turbos in there. I, I'm sure we're overthinking, and the right answer is just to get another watercraft one but that's not fun probably at least you know somewhere around 100 horsepower i know the ones that i used to ride uh 700 everyone had uh a 1996 1997 was it it wasn't the sea um polaris uh slt 750 yeah um, everyone had everyone's ridden one of those if you've ridden a watercraft it's been one of those i they they're ab- absolutely everywhere and they're a lot of fun because it's a three cylinder 750 cc uh gonna get into the weeds a little bit there's no sponsons on these so it's a it's a three seater uh but usually on a lot of watercrafts especially fast ones there are little skis almost on the back of the holes that keep it tracking straight and keep it from kind of shifting and yawing left and right uh yeah. this doesn't this doesn't have those so this thing drifts like nobody's business those are the those are the best it's it's so much fun and um you know you go get a safe distance behind a wakeboard boat and you can come across at about a 30 degree angle and you can skip at about 40 miles an hour you can skip off of the outside wake catch air and then you can submarine straight into the into the face of the outside swell and you can put the watercraft i don't know two or three feet under the water enough yeah, full submerge enough that it's over your head and then that thing will because it's so buoyant it'll just pop back out of the uh, of the water with some real force about half the time you hold on that's, that's crazy. Most fun. The, the most fun I've had doing that is actually on the Columbia, out on the Columbia behind barges. Yep, we did a lot on the on the Clackamas out by um, uh, Lake Oswego. Some narrow casting to our Pacific Northwest listeners, but uh, yeah, watercrafts. If you have not had the opportunity to go out on a, don't go rent one of the big ones. Like if you really want to play, get get a little one for. Two thousand oh, bucks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, hooliganism is the big uh, ones might go fast in a straight line, but that's not nearly as fun as jumping them. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad, back when he was you know young and spry in my age, he had a uh, he had a uh, jet ski, a stand up jet ski, a two stroke. Um, yep, back when those, those were, were still a thing, and it was like a it had a race built um, engine in it and stuff that was just super pipey. 
and him and a few of his buddies all had them and they would go down to the Columbia river and, uh, and jump the wakes of the big barges that would go up there. And he oh, said, yeah. dude, some of the guys he would go with, you know, they were, they would do barrel rolls, backflips, all types of awesome shit. And then they, when they land, a lot of times they'd submarine them and then shoot them up, you know, up and out of the neck of the other side of the wave. Like just so cool, man. Just awesome stuff. But he said, you go out for a 15 minute ride and you were just beat by the time you were done. It was so much work. The standups are an absolute workout. Like that is, yes, they are. It's the hard part of wakeboarding, uh, but also motocross all at once. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you fall off, you have to swim back to the boat. You know, there, there's a tether on your wrist that's hooked to a, a kill switch. So if you fall off, it stops, but that sucker can still drift away. Um, yeah, they can still go away. Yeah, it's- definitely wear, wear a life preserver, folks, because you get so tired. I don't care how good a swimmer you are. If you're going to get on a PWC or a jet ski, wear, wear a life vest because you're going to find yourself exhausted. And that's that's a bad position to be out in the middle of the water alone and too tired to swim to your uh, flotation device. Do they still make stand-ups? Uh, yeah, actually, I believe Kawasaki just um, uh, just brought that back. Um, I'll double check, but okay, no, I'm 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 correcting myself. Yamaha Wave Runner Superjet, right there, stand up. Yep. yep. Of course, Yamaha would be making something awesome. So they always make something awesome. Brands. Yeah, Yamaha is just better than every other brand out there. Hey, watch it. <laughs> Uh, Kawasaki also still makes a brand new stand-up. It's a jet ski SXR, ten grand. But yeah, you can still get a brand new stand-up jet ski. I'm I'm about that. Ooh, dude, 1991 Yamaha Superjet. Oh yeah. So Yamahas are fun. Uh, we've had a couple of Wave Runners. Yamaha Wave Runners are are oh, yeah. top notch. They're two seaters. They are sporty. Ours was a. 550 or a 600 or something um but those are fun because they have a rooster tail and by that there's a there's a little uh pipe that comes out of the impeller um and right on the back where you get on the jet ski um is a stand it's not a stand-up it's a it's a sit down but there's a little hole on the uh passengers what would be the passenger side the starboard side of of the of the back uh, was that so the stern there's a little hole and when you hit the gas it shoots a stream of water about three quarters of an inch in diameter straight up in the air and that sucker will go up to 15 feet and so when you're ripping at you know 50 miles an hour and that thing's shooting up and back the idea is it's kind of like a dune buggy flag and it helps people see you but it also just looks really cool um, yeah, you're gonna, that's Yamaha's kind of that's their thing. Nobody, I think they're the only ones to do that. You, you can always tell Yamaha coming because they all that's their that's their trademark thing. That's their calling card. Yeah, right. Uh, another fun thing you can do with these suckers is you get them. You can get them from a stop. You put both of your feet in the one side of the gunwale, uh, and you lean in like you're almost trying to pull the boat and flip it over, and then you turn in and you hit the gas. And lean forward, and you can get that sucker to kind of go down and back up, and you can cut cookies, but with yeah. such such in you know inside turning force that you make your own swells. 
that you could pop out of that eventually. That's so, so much, man. I miss, I miss writing now. It was, it's so much fun. You can make your own fun with them. Uh, they're, they're wonderful. And again, they're people going oh, best day, you know, of a boat ownership is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. The watercrafts are different. They require so little maintenance relative to a boat. Like you still need to, you know, uh, dry them off when you take them out, take the plugs out. And, uh, but that's about it because, you know, you got to make sure you don't move invasive species. That's important. But short of that, they don't require the care or the, you know, the, the cost. Cause you can get these things in good shape for three grand. I mean, for, if you've got eight grand, you can get two really nice ones with a trailer. You're good to go. Uh, you know, they're fine. If they're 10 years old, they're still going to be great fun. Oh um, yeah. And you keep everyone entertained. I, I highly recommend it. Those were good times. Definitely. Man, I love those things. Um, so, uh, how about the news? Uh, before we, uh, before we call it a night, we got some news. Um, so not hugely, uh, controversial, but, uh, worth, worth mentioning, uh, for nothing else as a talking point, but the 2021 BMW M4 coupe. So it's still, it's still in testing, but it's been spied with a manual transmission. Ooh. And this from BMW who has been pretty, uh, you know, adamant about, uh, switching away from the manual. Right. Interesting. So, I mean, it's still, it's still a prototype. I mean, but why would you even, you know, engineer unless they're trying to engineer it with a manual and seeing if it can be done or not. But I mean, it, if it's out and driving around, uh, maybe the, uh, manual transmission isn't quite as dead as, uh, as we thought it was. Uh, maybe that, maybe that nostalgic, uh, feeling, you know, is, is kind of going to bring people back to, to wanting it, you know, like we've talked about before the feel of driving rather than the ease of, of, uh, you know, appliance, you know, uh, driving, I guess, you know, making it more of a, an enthusiast car and, and, uh, enjoying the, the feeling of shifting and everything. So do you think they're doing this for, it can't be for financial reasons, right? Like there can't be enough market for them to justify the development and, you know, having it available to install and, and going through all that. It can't be financial. It has to be like a halo thing, right? Like they're going to offer it on M4s, but not the four series. It's going to be a very special thing for, uh, you know, to kind of put a feather in their cap. It's definitely yeah. an M thing for sure. It's not going to be on the normal four series or something like that. It's got to, it would only be on an M car. Uh, so what's, what's interesting is with them putting the manual back in, cause they haven't offered it on a few models, uh, so far, um, Ford with their SVT series, uh, the newest Shelby is the first to not be a manual transmission. Um, even though, I mean, Porsche and others have proven quite solid, solidly that a, uh, an automatic can be smoother faster and just you know in all um you know empirical ways 
better than any manual transmission, you know, shift speed, mile per gallon, um, you know, consistency of, of shifts, you're never going to miss third. Um, but Ford has, you know, kept their eggs in the manual transmission basket until it literally couldn't take the power. Um, are we going to continue to see performance vehicles like move away from this or is this, are they going to start offering it in, you know, higher spec things like Lamborghinis and Ferraris? Do you think this is maybe it's swinging back the other way? Is it going to make its way back up market? I don't think it's necessarily swinging. I mean, it, it kind of comes and goes. Each manufacturer is doing you know, their own kind of thing. You know, like if you want to, you know, if you're talking forward, you know, yes, the 500 now is, comes with an automatic. But the 350 was the manual offering, but we're only going to have probably one year without it. You know, in the highest trim being the 500, but next year I would suspect the Mach 1 will have a, a manual. So I, I happen to think that, you know, we're kind of in uncharted territories where automatics are now outperforming manuals. And I mean, just in the last five or so years. And, um, you know, manuals have clung on um, just being the less expensive, expensive to produce and kind of more familiar option. But as these dual clutch automatics have become more, um, uh, I guess, uh, oh, what do you want to say? Um, they've kind of been, been, been vetted. They've been, uh, been well thought out the kind of design of scale. Like they've, you know, they've sorted out all the kinks and they're working really well. Um, they're kind of the new norm. Those manuals have started to phase out. And I think that if we can, you know, if we start seeing manuals come back in, it's more of a like a nostalgia thing. Like, I don't think it's going to be on a large scale. I think it'll be on some of those kind of interesting cars like the like a like an S2000 or, a, you know, the M series, uh, like the M3 or something like might get offered with one less of a, um, you know, less of a, you know, uh, strict performance car, but more of a um, it's fun and enjoyable to row gears kind of thing. Um, more of a feeling car kind of thing, if that makes sense. So it's going to stay a, a niche performance car, but not in the, uh, not in the fastest around the track, but just kind of yeah. the same way they sell a Miata, you yeah, know, and not I would to say, break records. Right. And fun. I would, I would also say that the, uh, the economy car segment will probably also still see, some manuals speaking of miatas segue over to mazda Ooh, that was smooth and rich like and that. rich rich, <laughs> rich being a a straight six rear wheel drive engined mazda six yeah that's that's got my attention uh looks like they're kind of moving <clears throat> up market in a way because you know anything else in that segment uh is a transverse front wheel drive, you know, four cylinder, maybe a six, but uh, they're, they're playing with the big boys going straight six longitudinal rear wheel drive. That's, that's a three series territory. I, I, I looked at this car and as soon as I saw it, I immediately thought it was a Lexus at first. It does kind of have some Lexus vibes, but even Lexus is a uh, front wheel drive based. Right. I, uh, I I think this is really fitting for the Mazda. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be a speed or if it's going to be all of them, but 
uh, fitting for like the Mazda Speed lineup. I mean, they've really for the last God, probably 10 years, they've really been pushing the envelope in terms of engine development, performance, and what you can achieve out of a car. Um, I've yeah, really Sky appreciated Active is that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, I've really appreciated seeing that innovation come out of Mazda and kind of, you know, taking something that is, I mean, relatively ordinary and making it something interesting and um, and appealing to even enthusiasts at, in a more understated level. Um, and I think this just kind of is the next step for them in, in kind of approaching that enthusiast market a little bit more. Um, I worry uh, a little bit that they might detract from some of their, um, you know, kind of more vanilla uh, car buyers that want a front wheel drive, you know, boring uh, Honda Accord or something. But at the same time, uh, they've already established themselves as a pretty reliable, um, you know, uh, fuel efficient, um, you know, midsize car. And I don't know if maybe they'll lose out on the on that market, like, uh, say, like the Chevy SS did, or some of the other, uh, you know, high performance rear wheel drive cars that are kind of in the same segment, um, you know, where they've kind of lost to some of the other competition. Um, I think Mazda might be able to pull it off. I think it, it'll be interesting to see. And it'll be a cool car that can be driven by, you know, your your mom and then also you and you guys can enjoy it for entirely different reasons. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the first we've seen of this. So <clears throat> what this is, this is um this is all part of like a financial report that came out. Uh this is what they're gonna call their large architecture, which should be the Mazda six and probably the CX six and CX nine crossovers. And um, them going rear drive makes even more sense because recently Ford, uh, you know, revamped their Explorer and that is now rear wheel drive based uh, as it was previous to 2011. Um, So with that going rear drive and now Mazda uh, SUVs going rear drive and of course uh, things like the X5 and the Mercedes uh you know, those all continuing to be rear drive base. Um, my only concern with the Mazda six is the, um, uh, uh, the fuel mileage really, if the fuel mileage goes down, that's kind of a big sticking point. Someone's going to choose a car in that segment based on one or two miles to the gallon. I know it's kind of, yeah, one to two miles a gallon doesn't seem Super significant, though. It doesn't to us, but I, I think that the people, uh, you know, shop cross-shopping this with the Accord, you know, if the Accord gets two miles to the gallon better being front-wheel drive, I you know, I would, I wonder how much that's going to matter to people versus, well, this one is a sportier feel. The Accord doesn't have Sky Active, and it doesn't have all of the other engine weirdness and goodness that Mazda has introduced in the last 10 years. So it might counteract. It might actually be comparable. Uh, see, that's what I, I would agree with Jeff. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot more to it than strictly, you know, a numbers game. You know, unless that is the only thing being a numbers game, you know, price for miles per gallon. Sure, that's an equation. But, you know, feel, you know, how the car drives, how it feels, the sportiness of it, the looks of it is going to sway me more than one or two miles a gallon. I think I think Randy's point though also is he's he's worried about the the mainstream buyer right like 
you know, looking at just a spec sheet saying, well, the Accord gets better mileage. Um, I know. Yeah. Cause I would, I would give up five miles to the gallon uh, to go from front to rear drive myself, like without much hesitation. Same. Uh, but I, I worry about, you know, a typical auto shopper, uh, you know, going on carguru.com and just selecting the filters and, you know, this missing out because it gets 29 combined and they click, you know, 30 to 35 and, you know, this getting passed up uh, and, you know, someone ending up in a Camry instead of this uh, simply because of, you know, one number that makes up, you know, $200 a year in, in gas price, you know, this missing out on market share. But that's how you learn. I don't know, man. I, I also think a lot of times buyers, even though they shop, you know, and, and I don't know, it's it's hard because we're so far removed from that market. Like us three, like we're so into cars, it's hard not to, it's hard to envision us like, or, or even sympathize with people that aren't. Like they make up a big portion of our lives. But I would happen to think that like even people who are like, not into cars they'll look at a car and say that's an ugly car that's a pretty car like they'll look at a honda and say that looks like crap and then they'll look at the mazda and say that looks way better i like that one better even if it gets a mile per out, per gallon less i'd rather have the car that i think looks cuter or whatever you i know? do think right. the Mazda look really attractive right now yeah they've got a decent look and that red paint that they've got is killer in person yeah there's a lipstick red on the article that we're all looking at here and it's 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 a really good color on the on the Mazda six. Have you guys seen that in person? I have not. I saw one driving around uh, not too long ago, and not necessarily. I don't think it was this car. I think it was the hatch. Um, but it was it was a really deep red, like really deep red, really nice color. Like it, it and when I say deep, I don't mean like dark. I mean like it was just it looked it the paint looked really deep. Like it looked maybe it's really one of those. Cool. Uh, uh, tricoat paints because I know uh, I've been around some Dodges and and uh, and Fords that have a, a they kind of do three separate levels of paint mm. and it gives it a lot of depth because you've got um, some met- metallic flakes showing through other sure. coats gotcha. um, and that really gives it a, a, a good depth there was a there was a dark green that came on Dodge products in 2015 2016 uh and i think it was jeff and i went to the portland auto show and saw a durango uh in this dark green metallic and it had a tricoat on it and when you would walk up to it uh under the uh you know the lights in the expo center you could you could just see it glint and it had a lot of character to it just from you know the paints it's just a durango it's just a large suv but it looked really good because the the paint quality was there uh transitioning on paint quality uh there's some real nice paint on uh this next story uh andy you want to tell us what's the deal with this uh cobra well who likes all original me of course you do There is a 25-year-old 95 Cobra R that has popped up in the wild, has 187 original miles on it. The interior is still wrapped in the original delivery plastic. Wow. 
about a mint card, this is it. It's not many that have, you know, sub 500 miles, let alone sub 200 miles on them. Right. This is def definition of a mint car. That's one of those things, though. Like, it's always a, a kind of a catch-22. Like, you get a nice low-mile car, but then you got to, you know, go through all of the steps to make sure that you don't destroy it when you start it because it's, it's been driven so little. Um, sure. It's always one of those low-mile car things. It's kind of a sketchy thing. For anyone who's actually looking to drive something, I'd, I'd never recommend the low-mile car, but it is cool for, like, just a, a you know, history piece, right? Yeah, well, it's forty thousand is probably fine, but one hundred eighty-seven is is extensively low. Right. Very, very low. And right. I saw one yesterday that I haven't sent you guys yet. Um, was a uh, two thousand five or six uh, Ford GT that had two and a half miles, I believe. Oh my god. How do you how do you not get that just them driving it off of the assembly line and parking it and putting it on a uh, a truck like because most because most of them don't have have almost nothing on it you get driven off the assembly line and parked and and put on a you know a rail car delivered you know it's you're you're usually you know less than a quarter to a half mile between off the off the line to a dealer showroom. Yeah, but that had to go from a dealer onto a truck and to someone's house. Yeah. Like, it couldn't have gone from the dealer to anybody's house. To me, that just seems like such a mess of like getting the car back to running condition or like driving condition. This is a museum piece. This this is because no one's going to take a 200 mile uh 25 year old car and go, "Well, Time to time to put ten thousand miles on it. No one's going to do that. This is going to continue to sit in someone else's garage. I don't know, um, man. I'm, I'd probably drive it. What's the point? I do, a car, uh, a Cobra R or a Ford GT. I'd probably drive them both. Some people. I mean, we have to understand that there are some people that like car more as an art than as a. Uh, an oh experience. yeah, yeah. So that's that's who's going to buy this. Uh, for whatever crazy money it goes for. I mean, this has the factory plastic wrapping on it. Like, it's still shrink-wrapped. Like, it's, it's incredible. Like, there, you know, the the plastic on the on the floor uh, for the for the carpet where your where your feet go, the headrests are still wrapped. Like it's it's incredible. And it's it's weird because it's a white car with that kind of the interior is kind of the black uh black dash and center console and then the rest is tan it's kind of a strangely optioned uh kind of is i mean all 95 cobra r's are all white but the interior yeah. combination kind of throws me a bit with the tan and black yeah it's a little little strange um but yeah this is the the 300 horsepower 5.8 Windsor V8. That's the 351 then, right? Yeah. Man, that's a very old engine to be putting in a in a Cobra even back then cuz they had the 5.8 in 1980. The Way Windsor. before then, man. That's a very old engine to be putting in there. Yeah. Good engine uh, though. It was a good engine, it was a good car. Uh, yeah. you know, for, for what it was, uh, 
intending to be. They only built uh, 250 of them, I suppose. So, yeah, that'd be that'd be fun to drive, but they're asking $55,000 uh, for something that I wouldn't want to drive. I'd, you know, I'd just donate it to a museum and be like, hey, look at this. This is perfectly preserved. No, yeah, t- fifty-five at- seems like a lot of, and I get it. It's low mileage. It's a public collector museum piece at that mileage and everything. But yeah, you'll literally never. You get can buy a nice two thousand R for fifty-five. Well, that's the difference between a, a, a showpiece and a and a driver. You know, like this is you'll literally never find, never likely find, a ninety-five Cobra R in better condition than this. You know, I'm not going to say never because that's exactly when it would happen. So speaking of 300 horsepower, what about 300 cars? Oh, Ooh, was that a slippery transition into the next news topic? After last week, Jeff doesn't get to do news anymore. <laughs> uh, fooled by that. Yeah, Jay-Z. that was greasier than my valve covers. Um, <laughs> so uh yeah, Andy, tell us you about this. this to us right <clears throat> yeah so I, I i can't remember where it was i haven't read the article i watched the video about four or five days ago but all i know is he sent me a picture of a ford pinto and he's like isn't this cool <laughs> <laughs> and i was like uh, yes <laughs> I guess I'm looking, there, there, there's a couple other cars in here there, there, there's literally something for everybody. Sorry, unless you like a Prius in the <laughs> barn find. I mean, I don't think anyone on this show likes a Prius. <laughs> well, we're about to prove somebody wrong. <laughs> let, let us know if you do, and we'll find your IP address and ban it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of our this four is, listeners. This is not the yes. podcast you, you are listening to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so 300 cars in this barn find. I mean, literally everything from, you know, uh, uh, the, the title pick is an old Lamborghini, you know, uh, uh, Countach. Diablo or Countach, thank you, yeah. Um, but yeah, from a Countach to right above it, literally, you know, a, a, a 60s Corvette. Everything in there's, the- there's five of them in this in this one shot. There's five Corvettes. There's a yeah. red one with a tan top. There's a, a blue one. There's a green one. There's two white ones, one with a stripe. Like, I think I see a tractor behind one of them. Looks like it. Maybe a Lamborghini tractor. Yeah. There's a, there's a a Plymouth, uh, uh, roadrunner. There's, uh, I think that seems to be a rolls. There's a couple Uh, in there. Yeah. The roadrunner, um, couple oddball Ferraris. I mean, they're just, just everything. If you can, if you can think of it, it was in this, you know, it was in this, this guy's, Dim. There's a B- BMW Z3. There's a um, um, Superbird. There's uh, a C5 Corvette. There's what looks to be there is a C. I remember there's a SEMA car in there somewhere. There's a there's a 30s um, kind of like a Model A Roadster. Uh, apparently there's um, there's a Lamborghini LM002. Right, yeah, I forgot about that. But um, there's yeah, so many, so many interesting cars in this. 
And there, and uh, to my joke, there's a Ford Pinto that's <laughs> in there with all of these as well. Yes, there is. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty bonkers. I'd love to uh, go in there before they do anything and just kind of slip in between all the all the racks because there's a bunch of them up on lifts. I'd love to just kind of get an hour in there with a flashlight and just poke around a little bit and just see what there is. Like that's, that kind of sounds like a dream to me to just kind of poke around and, and, uh, and just look through windows, you know, kind of wipe the dust off of the Countach's passenger window and just look in with a flashlight and just, I don't know, kind of live in that, uh, you know, time out of space. Yeah. You could, that's, 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 that's why old cars are so great, man. They transport you to a different time. But this whole building seems to be a, uh, you know, a veritable cornucopia of, you know, Ooh, just was, different worlds. That was some Texas-sized language right there. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, Did you have a thesaurus for dinner? What's going on? <laughs> was it certainly wasn't an armadillo. Veritable cornucopia. Huh? All right. Um. Speaking of speaking of big words, how about uh, exploited pandemic? Ooh, what's um, what's going on there? I found a uh, a last minute story. I'm just putting it in the chat, so uh, no one else has seen this yet. Um, but I had heard about it. So, oh yeah. So we had mentioned Cannonball Run uh, earlier, not the uh, wonderful '80s movie, but um, the the road where you go. You go cross country uh, across the U.S. as fast as you can. Oh and, no way! And due to the coronavirus, uh, someone was able to beat what we thought was unbeatable just about a year ago. Oh my and gosh! Beat Ed Bullion's time. Twenty-six hours and thirty-eight minutes across the country. It just took me thirty of driving just to get halfway. That's uh, insane. Oh, these guys are crazy. They're really hardcore, man. They they have cars with like extra gas tanks and stuff. The and whole like, trunk is a fuel cell. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the back seat too. And they'll like minimal fuel stops. Some of them wear diapers, man. I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is they beat it by 45 minutes. That's huge. That's huge. That is, that is significant. Minutes. So they were driving a a white. 2019 Audi A8 sedan. Uh, had, yeah. Had mar- marine fuel tanks strapped into its trunk. Uh, Ratchet strap. They started in New York uh, on April 4th, and um, in less than 27 hours, they were in Redondo Beach, California. That's Dude, wow. That awesome. That is bonkers. That is crazy. That, What's their average speed got to be? What's that? Three thousand miles? It's it's a heck of a long way. I I, I know I, I didn't do the math, but um, yeah. There's, I just can't imagine doing and you know to go that fast for that long is you know because you can't stop. You have to do basically you know in flight fuel stops. Oh yeah. And then you got enough, have enough people in there that you can, you know, what do you put the cruise control on and 
you know, get out nope. of the driver's seat. I, I couldn't imagine. Uh, oh man, you're you're to... doing excessive speed the entire time. R- roughly twenty eight hundred miles, it looks like. If you if you just go twenty from New York to L A. So what's his average speed then? Twenty twenty seven hours. That's a hundred miles. An hour, roughly a hundred. A little over a hundred. Yeah, a little Ooh, over a hundred. So probably a hundred and ten, hundred and fifteen miles an hour. Oh my god, you dude, you know average. a car would be great at that. If it would run the whole time, is your BMW? It'd be comfortable. It would be so comfortable and probably break, but it would be so <laughs> comfortable. Pro- problem is that thing gets, you know, it gets, it, you know, sixteen to eighteen miles to the gallon now, but at one hundred and ten, it's going to get eight. Like the amount of fuel you'd, I'd have to have a trailer on it. I am, I'm generally curious what the Cobra would get sitting at one hundred and say one hundred and one hundred and five. Pulled over. It would get pulled over. Well, there's, there's that. <laughs> Whatever it is idling with the uh, cop next to it. Yeah, yep. zero. Yeah, it would. Uh, speaking of weird car uh, videos, I watched this great video. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watched Super Speeders Rob on YouTube. He's been around on YouTube for ages. Um, but he had this video where it was, because uh, they're always doing the cannonballs and stuff and everyone's getting tickets. And one of them was, uh, he's like, you know, we usually we try not to get tickets, but I'm going to challenge you. And he had Matt Farrow with him. He's like, I'm going to challenge whoever comes back to the office with a ticket first wins. And he's like, okay, so it can't be that you have to you have to be able to get a ticket that's not serious enough to go to jail, but is serious enough to get pulled over and back quickly. And uh, it was hilarious. So they take their two cars out, and uh, Matt Farrow is in this SL. I think it's a S SLS Mercedes. Is that the the Goldwing one? And then. Yes. Um, and then uh, and, uh, Rob Freddy's in his Corvette. He's got a C5 Corvette with like 900 horsepower or something stupid. And, uh, and Matt Farah does – he passes a Jetta on the shoulder by a cop and then gets pulled over. And they've got cameras going on. And he's like – the cop's like, uh, you know, why were you on the shoulder there? He's like, it seemed like a reasonable place to pass at the time. <laughs> and the cop just is like, what? And then you see Rob Freddy and he's like – and he's like – Oh no! Like you see his camera, he sees Matt pulled over. He's like, "Oh, dude, there's there's no way he's already pulled over." And you hear him downshift, and he rows through like three or four <laughs> gears and flies <laughs> by both of them on the side of the road. He had to have been going 140 plus, you know. Oh. And uh, and the and you see the video from Matt Ferris' car, and and uh, and you and you hear the the supercharger and the exhaust of that LS, you know, just rip by him. And the cop's like, it's your lucky day. Hands Matt back his stuff and takes off after Rob. <laughs> it was so good, dude. I was just oh, like, no man. way. <laughs> oh, man. It was so funny. Uh, never yeah. Things to never, never do. Things to never do. Things that they try to do intentionally are things we accidentally do when we go out and do stuff. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well... Uh, another accident was uh, hitting the record button in the first place. Thank you all for uh, <laughs> sticking suffering with us this long. Um, uh, yeah, we've got we've got some you know some stuff happening uh, in the network, and we got a couple more shows on the horizon. Uh, so keep your ear to the ground. Um, other than that, it's just uh, kind of more of the normal stuff. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Um, 
you know how to contact us uh visit the website uh tinydogpodcast.com um there's the video game podcast every other thursday just another side quest and there's the dirt bike one on fridays that is loose spokes uh check them all out and check out the youtube channel um we'll have uh more information about that posted uh on the website and uh elsewhere i'll put something in the uh in the video in the uh, audio description for this episode uh, you can follow uh check it out we're going to be doing some stuff if you want to see something specific uh let us know and we'll uh we'll see what we can do uh do you guys have any other uh final thoughts before we uh call it a night don't forget to check out retro tech on mondays it's a good little podcast it's a short little one it's a uh, old car tech that i uh talk about so it's kind of fun be sure to check that out and check out our youtube channel uh, trying to get that thing off the ground. There should be m- m- lots of new content coming up on there here in the next few weeks. So uh, look forward to that. As well as the Instagram account. Definitely check that out as well. I think we're doing uh, engines this week. Going to throw up some pictures of our engine bays. How's that sound, guys? Yeah? Yeah. We yeah, can make we'll, that happen. We'll lift the hood and... Uh... You know, different uh, levels of excitement. The Chevy's got the, you know, the new uh, nifty wires on it. And the Cobra always looks amazing. And then um, I'll find something. The insurance company (laughs) will be surprised to see it's in one piece. But yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, But definitely uh, Instagram good. RetroTech, wonderful. Uh, They're they're short little bits. uh, Very digestible. Very fun. Always learning. Uh, Not learning, you're dying. Uh, and on that note, uh, stay inside, stay safe. Um, all that good stuff. We'll get through this. Um, we all have cabin fever. Okay. Uh, with that further ado, good night. Thank you all for listening. Thank you everybody. Good night. listening to the garage night podcast a special thanks for jeff tracy and annie tamlin for joining the show this week until next week keep turning wrenches well that's all good stuff folks but i think we have some news <laughs> Cut that out. i can't do this no it's so good <laughs> I can't, I can't keep oh, let's just stay in no, <laughs> we're gonna leave this in Oh, God, I have urgent news. <laughs> Thank you for sticking oh. past the credits, folks. God, why do, you let me, why do you let me do the news three beers in? Wait, 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 four. And welcome to just another side quest. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> A loose spokes production. Uh.